Hey there. Hi there. Hello there. This is Les Bowen, and we're with, uh, with you again for the fourth episode of Bowen on the Birds, which is, as you might have noticed, a podcast about the Philadelphia Eagles and some other stuff here and there. If we get tired of talking about the Eagles or we run out of Eagle stuff to say. A lot of stuff going on today. The Eagles have wrapped up their spring work. They will be back um, in late July for training camp. And really, from early June uh, until late July is the official dead period of the NFL offseason. The offseason, of course, stretches from mid-February until late July. But as we all know, a lot of stuff happens during most of that time. There's the combine, there's the draft, there's free agency, there's OTAs. It's a busy offseason, but the unbusy start part starts now. Uh, guys are going to go on vacation. Executives will go on vacation. There won't be a whole lot uh, happening uh, officially. Uh, in fact, that was part of Nick Sirianni's message to his team today when asked uh, what he told them uh, to head back uh, before they come back in late July, he told them two things. One was to show up in the best shape of their careers when they, they arrive for training camp. The other thing is stay out of the news. That's the only way you're going to hear much about the Eagles uh, between now and late July. That isn't just, you know, lists of stuff and so on is if somebody does something that makes you hear about him and uh, not in a good way, usually. So you don't want that. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, charity softball tournaments and golf tournaments and, and those sorts of things. I'm talking about uh, the bad kind of news. And uh, it reminds me of several years ago when Chip Kelly gave exactly that sort of invocation to his team. And uh, some guys went to a strip club that afternoon to celebrate their uh, – freedom from uh, OTAs, and Nelson Aguilar promptly got into a, dis a uh, dispute with one of the fine young ladies there, and uh, that did make the news right away, and that was not at all what Chip had in mind. But anyway, that is one of the many things we're going to talk about, the OTAs, but I have a special guest today. You can't see him, so you're going to take my word for it, but you'll hear his voice, Phil Sheridan. Uh, former Eagles beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, former beat writer uh, for ESPN uh, and the Eagles, former Inquirer columnist, and uh, currently uh, doing a lot of different stuff, freelance and so forth. Um, Phil, you're here somewhere. I can't see you through the smoky haze, but uh, I understand you're with us. Uh, say hi. Hello, Les, and I can see you fine. So one of us is lucky and one of us is not so lucky. We'll I'm not sure which of us is more lucky. We'll but keep uh, that vague. Keep that vague. Yeah. So how you doing and what are you doing these days? Tell our uh, viewers and listeners what's going on with Phil Sheridan right now. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of vaguely retired, but not really retired. I just turned 60 last week, so I'm not like super. Young man. Yeah, I'm not super, you know. Uh, retirement age or anything beyond retirement age but you know the business kind of retired a lot of us and uh yeah. i kind of got caught in that and some other stuff that happened and so yeah um i've been trying to do stuff i had a, a patreon column that i was doing for a while mm -hmm. um 
the frustrating thing there was that like, as soon as I started it, I got all kinds of immediate response. And I thought, oh, this is going to go really well. And then I got to about, I don't know, 55 subscribers or so really quickly. I thought, oh, this is, you know, at this pace, but the pace, boom, ended right there. And it just never really got any bigger. And it just got to the point where I was doing a lot of, spending a lot of time on it. And I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed writing for people. I enjoyed people responding to it. But, uh, you know, it just wasn't working out that well. And then uh, I've been doing some freelance stuff. I do some freelance stuff for a, a business-related site. And it's a lot of stuff about personal finance, but also about, you know, um, military benefits and all this stuff that I have. No, I know nothing about, but I have to research every single piece. And uh, um so that's interesting work in a way because, you know, but it's not like sports writing, which is kind of yeah. obviously fun, you know, uh, to do and, and interesting on its face. It's, it's, it's different kind of stuff, but they actually pay. And that's 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 a good thing. And uh, yeah, some other stuff. I've been doing some Phillies coverage for NBC Sports uh, Philadelphia cool. and uh, for their website. Um, and uh, yeah, basically that. And uh yeah, some got some book ideas that I've been working on, and n none of them are at the point where I can talk about them in a no music way. writing these days. Huh? No, that's weird, isn't it? I mean, that's like, that was my side thing for forever, and yeah. uh, that magazine basically stopped publishing. They have a website that's very active, and but they don't they don't like most websites. They're not interested in long form writing or anything. They just want quick hit stuff, and 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 the website looks good, and there's fun stuff on it, but I don't write for it. Uh, anymore really so kind of miss that but i'm also getting a little old to be going to shows and getting excited about some band with 10 people in the crowd and i'm going to write about them for a magazine you know that kind of thing so. yeah that's the thing I, I still like to go and but my wife is very very conscious of she always scans the audience <laughs> make sure we're not the oldest people there and if we are the oldest people there that's a big you know oh we shouldn't be here you know but we tend to go to the kind of shows that we're not really the oldest people there. Uh, we saw Jason Isbell at Red Rocks uh, visiting our son, Matt, in Denver uh, several weeks ago. And that was what an incredible venue that is. Uh, I've always wanted to go there ever since yeah. that uh, U2 video was uh, was yeah. set there um, years ago. Um, never got there, but always wanted to. That was uh, probably a, a lot of the people were your age or maybe a little bit younger. I was at the older end. There were people older than me. You know, it wasn't Isabel's crowd isn't, uh, you know, millennials. Uh, it's more gen, your generation, you're the generation right after you. Uh, so I felt OK in that group. And, uh, you know, it was it was a really cool time. But I wanted to ask you one of the things I want to ask you right off is uh, for people that don't really know, you've had an amazing uh, personal journey the last, uh, I guess, 10 years or so. And if you don't mind talking about that, your your health, uh, you know, you're okay now, which is incredible. And I'm so glad, uh, but you've been really been through the ringer. Uh, can you bring us up to date on that? Yeah, um, it is. It's, it has been bizarre. Uh, <laughs> and and the, the, the preface to it is that for like ever, I was always healthy. Like I was never sick. I never got sick. I never went to doctors. I just, you know, you're supposed to see a doctor once a year or twice a year. I never went to the doctor, mm -hmm. and uh, and and I'm I've been paying for that in spades ever since. It's like, okay, you go into your 50s without ever going to the doctor, and now you're going to go to the doctor every 10 minutes for the rest of your life. So um, yeah, it started. Um, I guess it was 2014, right? That that yeah. I, I had gone gone taken the job at ESPN, covered that first season in 2013. 
for the, for them. And that meant a lot of on-camera stuff or, um, you know, we would, we would tape videos off our iPhones and submit them and they go on the website. So it was a lot of visual stuff and, and everything. And it wasn't really what I'm cut out for mostly, but as you can see, I <laughs> hide my camera. Um, that's actually an accident. But no, I, uh, and in the first, you know, at the end of that first season, I start, all right, these are the things I got to do better next year. And then the day, the day free agency opened in March of 2014, I, it was a beautiful day. It had been a miserable winter. It was a really nice day. So I'm going to go out for a run. I haven't been out for a run in a couple of months because it was, the weather was so bad and the job was so taxing. And uh, during the run, I had a sudden cardiac arrest, which my doctors later told me is, is 95% uh, fatal. I mean, 95% of the people who have them, especially out in the wild, not in a hospital where there's people there, um, don't make it. And so literally I was dead laying on the sidewalk um, and people stopped and saved me. I had a, a handful, it was about six people altogether, including the Langhorn, uh, Langhorn Manor chief of police, two volunteer firefighters. I mean, I had like people who knew what to do actually just come around the corner and find me laying there. So a couple of college students who they were the first ones to stop. And I got it, they got the ambulance there quickly. They gave me the paddles got me to St. Mary Hospital here in Bucks County. And uh, and within like two weeks, I basically felt fine. Um, it was weird. But my, I remember my doctor saying, hey, your heart's in great shape. And I said, what? Because <laughs> it's all uh, sudden cardiac arrest. Is not, it's not a heart attack like a coronary where you have blocked arteries. It's it's the, it's the you know, the, the electrical, electrical yeah. components that, that keep your heart beating. And they go, you know, it's, you know, it was kind of AFib given, given, which is atrial fibrillation going and turning into ventricle or VFib, ventricle fibrillation. And then your heart can just stop. It happened to Damar, uh, I'm sorry, ha Hamlin, Damar Hamlin. Yeah. Yes. The Bills it happened to him on the field. I was watching that game and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's, that's yeah. what happened to me. And he was standing there and then he just falls. That's, that's what yeah. happened. Wow. I still have a scar on the back of my head from where I landed. It's weird. Wow. Like the hair won't grow there. It's like I have this bald patch eight or almost 10 years later. So, yeah, yeah. so that happened. And then um, I was still at ESPN. I had all kinds of medications I had to take. And uh, they were making it very hard for me to like do the on-camera stuff. It was just um, the Eagles had, played in Arizona that year. And Rich Hoffman and uh, his wife, Mary, who was a, a doctor, Mm -hmm. uh, came on the trip and we had all had dinner together. You were probably at this dinner and Mary, Mary Hoffman asked me about, you know, this is a doctor. She was asking me, you know, what happened exactly the details. And she asked me about what medications I was on and I named them. And she looked at me like wide eyed and like, Oh my God. And I said, what, what's that reaction about? She said, I don't know how you, I don't know how you can do your job when you take a handful of downers before you go out of the house every morning. And they are, they're all, to suppress oh, okay. heart rate, keep your heart calm and keep things settled. And very hard to like, and they tell you for, if you're doing TV work or media work, you know, be energetic. Yes. Energetic. Yeah. 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 And I have like, I'm like in a coma. So it was not a good mix anyway. So after the, I guess after 2015 season was my third year. Um, I was, I was done. I, I, I just, mm -hmm. I, the, the, I was, I was not in good shape. 
they made a lot of changes that year. A lot of people who were in the first wave of this ESPN right. NFL nation, a bunch of people got bounced. The, the people who got bounced tended to be slightly older uh, Caucasian uh, males, just coincidentally, I think. And uh, a lot of the hirees, the people who replaced us were not, uh, although Tim McManus is, in fact, a Caucasian male um, who replaced me. But a lot of the other ones, it was, and, you know, it was a diversity thing, you know, which yeah. I, which is fine. Right. Although they shouldn't have hired probably 32 white guys right. if they wanted diversity. That was that was. So anyway, yeah, a couple of months after that, uh, I started feeling really, really sick and I didn't know what it was. And um, it was uh, leukemia. <laughs> um AML, the uh, um, mm -hmm. not 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 the good kind, not the kind you want to get. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so that meant you know eight months of going back and forth, in and out of the hospital, getting chemo, getting uh, radiation. Um, I had a bone marrow transplant, which yeah. is a shocking mm -hmm. thing to do to your body. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, that. Yeah, I guess that's the long version, but it's hard to do a shorter version. Oh, it certainly is. And that's just remarkable. And it's a testament to your courage and your, your, you know, resilience that you're here uh, talking with us today and, and sounding like yourself and from all accounts looking like yourself, although I can't verify that uh, uh, as, as well as I would like to. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an incredible story. And uh Really, I think most of us who know you admire you for everything you've gone through and the way you've come through it and and you know main you know, maintained your sanity and 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 that's, poise right. that, that's debatable <laughs> and all those things uh, I, I can't even imagine what it's like. Well, and the punchline to all that is that in 2017 was when I had the bone marrow transplant. The next year, my house burned down. Oh yeah, and yeah. I forgot about that. So that 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 wasn't health-wise a problem for me, but we did lose our pretty much everything in our house, and then spent a year living in an apartment while the house was rebuilt. So yeah, all of that kind of you know, it felt like a it felt like you know somebody had a voodoo doll that looked just like me, although no one knows what that is, who what that looks yeah. like, and uh, the pins were just perfectly placed every time. They just hit right. Right in the heart. Incredible. Just just incredible. I know we're kind of coming up on a commercial break here, but uh, I want to give you at least, uh, you can at least be thinking about this. Uh, I wanted to talk to you today some about how much covering the NFL has changed, how much the NFL has changed uh, in the time that we've both been around it. I came in after you. I started covering the Eagles in 2002, and you were, uh, much to my chagrin, already well established as the Inquirer beat writer with really good sources, and uh, you know you you certainly had the upper hand in that. Uh, but it's a very different uh, atmosphere today, I guess. Uh, the the job is different, the team is different, um, the way the league works is different, and and I really want to get into some of that with you and. I don't think a lot of the changes are for the better. Some of them I probably are, but I, I do think there's a distance uh, between, and, and I'm not just talking about things that affect reporters here. I'm talking about our audience as well. Right. Things that affect 
the information that you are allowed to see as a as a consumer of news, as someone who wants to know, you know, what these people are like and and what things on the inside are like. I don't think you're getting as good a picture of that as as you did 20 years ago, probably, despite social media and all the stuff that has come around uh, in the interim. So I do think we have that commercial coming up and we'll be right back with more from Phil Sheridan through the murky haze of the Canadian wildfires. Hey, Birds fans, the NFL schedule has arrived and Philly Sports Trips has all the details now. Visit the site phillysportstrips.com. This is sure to be an epic season. Be sure to go there now to make sure that you don't get shut out. Join us in Tampa, LA, Seattle, or when we get revenge in Kansas City. Don't want to fly? No problem. Gather up your crew and hop aboard one of our signature boisterous bus trips to DC or New York. Sign up now and make sure to mention A2D. Don't miss out on the best Philly fan experience anywhere. Philly sports trip customers always stay at the best hotels and meet NFL legends. Book today. And we're back with Bowen on the birds. I, I was fascinated by that ad because my younger daughter, who's now 33, um, she's married, husband's hardcore Eagles fan. And their thing for the last couple of years has been they love to, to pick a road trip and go. Yeah. So I have to get her and uh, take take a look at this A2D. Uh, A2D, is that right? Get yes, their situation. But, uh, you know, the whole thing with fans traveling to these games, it is remarkable. Uh, the last several years I was on the beat, you know, you'd, you'd take any flight uh, to the go city. Ahead. And it didn't matter which city. It didn't have to be like, obviously, everybody wants to go to New Orleans or L.A. or something. You could be going to Cleveland. Right, and right. <laughs> the plane is full of Eagles fans, you know, and they're making and sometimes they don't even have tickets for the game. They're just going to go there, be in the city, go to a bar and take over. They're going to take over beer. the bar, take kinda over the like city. Kind of like the Taylor Swift fans who watch the concert <laughs> in the parking lot, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, the Eagles uh, are a remarkable phenomenon in this city. They really are. And uh, it, it, people do go to these games and. uh it's 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 I don't know of any other situation like it in the NFL. But, I, I've never really heard of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, when people come to Philadelphia, you know, teams come to Philadelphia and the media who cover them come to Philadelphia. You know, they're your friends. You've known these people now. Right. You, know, you cover the league and you all hang out at the Super Bowl. And, and, and you know, we ask, I mean, I ask, like, you just came from wherever. What happens? I mean, is your is, you know, is the whole flight full of fans from wherever la denver right kansas city minnesota and they just go they look at it like they've never heard of this phenomenon right. and uh you know i'd be like okay well it's you know we just call it like flight five or flight 700 or the seven, flying yeah. 700 level because they're usually a little tuned up you know a couple drinks yes yes a couple drinks at the airport before you get on the plane and they're having yeah. a good time you know, we're not always having a good time as the media guys <laughs> on a work trip, but they yeah. are. And uh, they're probably the right questions, you know, but uh, I don't yeah. mind that. You know, at least no, no, I love I love Philadelphia yeah. fans. I always have. Right. Even at their worst, they're they're the best fans, I think, in the country. So yeah. that's that's my opinion. Well, uh, our agree or disagree topic today is that uh, the way that sports 
discussion has evolved into hot takes and outrage spewing uh, really is corrupting the whole discussion. It, it makes things, uh, it, it serves the public poorly, I guess, is my contention. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And and it hasn't always been like that. Uh, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it has. But that wasn't the way I perceived it when I first started covering this. Yeah, I, I, I guess the thing that immediately strikes me is that, yes, I agree that this culture of, you know, hot takes and, you know, everybody waving their arms and yelling about stuff is childish and doesn't help anybody understand things any better. And uh, but the other thing about it, the flip side of it is it's immensely popular. I mean, people want that. And I don't know why they want it. I mean, I would rather they wanted witty, well thought out and cleverly written uh, copy, uh, you know, from somebody who actually works to learn things. I, I wish that was like the one that paid, you know, but I mean, we work in the same city for the same company overall as the legendary Stephen A. Smith, who is now the grand poobah of hot takes and outrage and, and all that stuff. And he makes like $7 million a year at ESPN, some number like that, which, you know, Stephen and I became columnists on the same day in 2003, I think. And theoretically, we're paid somewhat close to the same. And uh, I don't make $7 million a year. So I think he won that. Yeah. <laughs> And I salute him. I've always said that. People are always like, well, do you resent that? You know, Stephen being so successful and making so much money. I said, no, nah, I don't resent it. I, I admire him. I take my hat off. I couldn't do what Stephen does in a million years. You could point the camera and, you know, of course, the camera doesn't work. But you could point the camera at me and, and expect me to sound off and uh, get draw an audience and stuff. And it, it, it would never happen. So yeah. good for him. Yeah, but I- it's bad for everybody else, I think. I was looking on Twitter today and there was a thing uh, with Stephen A that he was uh, questioning Joe Biden's fitness to <laughs> to run for a second term. And I, I just I, uh, I I can't process this information. You know, I yeah. how Stephen A becomes this oracle is, is just beyond me. But that's the world we live in. Um, it, You've heard of the, Tucker Carlson, right? Yeah. So you can make a whole career. You can make a whole career out of just having an empty head and a big mouth. I mean, not well, Stephen, has an empty, to that, Stephen doesn't it? have an empty head. Tucker Carlson yeah, has an empty. That's true. That's true. Tangential to that is the issue of traditional people like ourselves in the media and access. Um, one of the things I realized when I first came on the Eagles beat and you were doing it for the Inquirer was that you had a good relationship with Fletcher Smith, who was Donovan McNabb's agent at the time. Yeah. And I eventually built a decent relationship with Fletcher Smith. It's such a different world now, Phil, uh, 20 years later. Uh, Jalen Hurts' agent is a young woman named Nicole Lynn. Right. And she's a very good agent. She gets, you know, she's... Uh, really phenomenal and dynamic and a great story. You know, a young black woman who's becoming a power in the agent community. You might've noticed the Inquirer did a story about her uh, recently, just right after Jalen's big contract came out. All right. And the, the story, which was well done, was told through the lens of a few of her clients. 
And there was nothing from Nicole Lynn in the story. And the reason for that is, although this was not made explicit in the story, Nicole Lynn doesn't deign to, to deal with local media. Right. She will not. Uh, the time that I was still covering the Eagles, when she when Jalen was on the team, she would not answer a text from me, you know, or give me any sort of uh, acknowledgement whatsoever or any other local uh, media person. And, you know, she came to the press conference where the, the contract was announced and I saw, you know, pictures of her on social media. I thought, OK. If, if I were there, I'm sure some of these reporters did this, I would sidle up to her afterwards and introduce myself and, you know, try to get a word or two about Jalen and how happy she was for him and, you know, kind of set the groundwork for some sort of sure, relationship. Yeah. So I asked one of the reporters about this. I texted him. He said, yeah, she said she uh, this was Jalen's day and she didn't want to, you know, she didn't want to do any media. <laughs> yeah what a world you know i mean it's just it's so ridiculous um the inquirer was doing essentially a puff piece i mean it was sure truth but very very complimentary to her and she just could not be bothered to to participate in this because all she really needs is adam schefter and ian rapaport and tom pelissero and a couple of other people and she's set you know and that really was not the case. Uh, if, if many years ago, if you had a prominent client in Philadelphia, you needed to deal with the Philadelphia media. You know, you needed to exactly. have a relationship there, and yeah. that benefited the people in this market. Uh, you know, who who read that stuff about the Eagles, and it benefited the the client. And uh, there just doesn't seem to be any feeling of that whatsoever anymore. For me, it really started with Carson Wentz. And I have a long-winded story about that, but I'm talking too much here, so I'm going to cut that <laughs> short, except to say that I couldn't even do – I couldn't even sit down with Carson Wentz one-on-one to do a story about his charity softball tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's embarrassing and sad. And, um, you know, yeah, basically what happened, you know, I left the Inquirer and went to work for ESPN. Mm-hmm. And you realize when you're working for ESPN that, you know, it's not coincidental that a network that is paying huge money, right. huge money to the NFL for broadcast rights has breaks news. I mean, yes. that's that's, you know, that's the game. And it's like Adam Schefter, who was a really good reporter when he was at the Denver Post. So I'm not saying Adam isn't a good reporter where it doesn't right. work hard. I'm sure he is a good reporter and he does work hard. But the league just hands out. You know, they're just handing out, you know, scoops to all these, right. you know, and, so, and the agents learn that too. That, you know, if I can, if I can get at him and he tweets it, um, I don't have to answer seven calls from seven different reporters at newspapers. It's, it's, you know, and then they can all, they, they basically all say, well, it was tweeted. So it's true. And that, you know, it just became a whole other thing. Whereas you have yeah, I would maintain that. Adam Schefter certainly reports about the Eagles, but he's reporting on 32 teams. Oh, right. If I were an agent, I would also want to, and I had a prominent client in Philadelphia, I would also want those reporters to know, you know, my thinking, who I am and what I'm about. That uh, a snippet here and there from Adam Schefter isn't the same thing, you know, but that seems to have, 
I don't know where that argument went, but it went away quickly. Well, I think I think a lot. I think I think you kind of hinted at this a little bit too. Is that you know, so much has changed about you know we used to go into the Eagles locker room, yeah, you know, for like an hour or a day, and most of the play like when they were back at the vet, most of the players would be in the locker room for the, almost the whole hour because there was nowhere else for them to go during on a practice day in the middle of the week. So, you know, and you could just walk around and just you could just I could walk up to Reggie White in the Eagles locker room and just make small talk with him. Ask right. him how he was doing. He would tell a funny story or he would do his Muhammad Ali impersonation and make everybody laugh. And it's Reggie White, who's like one of the greatest players in the history of the league. And you could just walk up and say, hey, Reggie, what's up? And he say, hey, how you doing? And we would touch talk stuff. And, you know, the idea of that happening now, like that you go up and talk to. Pick a player, you know, you know, Jalen Hurts or Fletcher Smith or somebody in the locker, anybody in the locker room. Fletcher Cox, I'm sorry, you said Fletcher no, Smith. Yeah, yeah. Fletcher Cox, you know, I was trying to think of the Reggie. Uh, <laughs> if it's their day to talk, you know, you're lucky. Yeah, right, but but you you can't go up to them in the locker room without eight what people behind you. Yeah, right. Seven right. of them, seven of them have TV cameras. It's like or microphones. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a whole different world and it, you know, it's probably, it's an easier world in some ways because everybody kind of knows, well, it's going to get tweeted by some agent. And so I don't really have to, we also worked. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would guess that like me back then, we, you know, I, I would make, you know, 20 phone calls and then spend the rest of the day waiting for one person to maybe call back. And, you know, you worked at it, chipped away at it. So I don't think, I don't think anybody bothers doing that much of that anymore maybe a yeah, handful it's of not, that it's not cost guys. effective you know you you kind of get to the point where you understand unless it's a new agent somebody that you haven't dealt with and you know you're going to try but you after you've tried you know don ye or somebody 50 times <laughs> and they haven't returned anything you there's not going to be a 50 first time you know i mean unless you just like wasting your uh, your effort but uh, we do have another video ad coming up phil and uh i will if if you, you have some more time here I'd, I'd love to talk to you more on the other side of it sure hey birds fans the nfl schedule has arrived and philly sports trips has all the details now visit the site phillysportstrips.com this is sure to be an epic season. Be sure to go there now to make sure that you don't get shut out. Join us in Tampa, LA, Seattle, or when we get revenge in Kansas City. Don't want to fly? No problem. Gather up your crew and hop aboard one of our signature boisterous bus trips to DC or New York. Sign up now and make sure to mention A2D. Don't miss out on the best Philly fan experience anywhere. Philly sports trip customers always stay at the best hotels and meet NFL legends. Book today. And we're back on Bowen on the Birds. Phil Sheridan is here. You'll be able to hear him in just a minute. You won't be able to see him. We're having some camera problems there, or it could be the wildfire smoke. We're not entirely sure, but uh, you know, Phil's up there. He's in Bucks County. He's much closer to the wildfires than I am in South Jersey, so that might be it. But we were talking about uh, how uh, writing has changed, how covering the league has changed, uh, social media and things like that. Uh, Phil, something else I saw recently, um, my contention is that we know more about athletes maybe than we used to, but not in a good way. Uh, and we're not 
the the fan isn't as close to the athletes as he might have been or she might have been 20 years back uh, because there aren't the kind of long pieces done, you know, routinely on guys. Uh, you know, you don't go to a guy's house as much as you used to and and sit with him and, and things like that. But we do have social media. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but Zion Williamson, uh, famous NBA player, uh, was in a social media tiff uh, with a porn star <laughs> who was quite miffed at him and intimated that she might be pregnant with his child and had a series of uh, derogatory things to say about Zion Wilson Williamson. And I'm thinking, you know, before social media, I could have gone on blissfully unaware of this <laughs> for the rest of my life, but now I know. <laughs> and uh, it just seems very odd to me. You know, it's, it's, uh, and if you're covering the team that Zion Williamson plays on, you're, you, you live in fear of something like this because suddenly your, your day and your week is upended and you're trying to figure out what the hell is going on here and what the, you know, ramifications of this might be. Uh, we had a, a situation in in Indianapolis this week where the Indianapolis writers are just sort of going about their day, and suddenly uh, one of their players is on the verge of being suspended, God knows how long, for gambling. <laughs> uh, it just seems like uh, a topsy-turvy world in terms of how quickly things escalate and, and the way information gets out there. And, and you really have to be uh, incredibly uh, tuned in to all this, I guess. Yeah. Well, a couple of things came to mind. And uh, one thing was um, going back a little bit, but also taking into what you just said, I think that one of the reasons like the, the, so many of the relationships have changed over time is just the flat out, explosion and how much money these people make yeah and you know uh you know fletcher, uh, fletcher smith with donovan McNabb. i mean you know he was making the agent's percentage you know on a 10 20 million dollar rookie contract or whatever it was at the time i forget the numbers and then he did a second contract with donovan that you know looked enormous but it was a long time a long time and a lot of you know uh money that was never going to be uh, right. earned at the end but now <laughs> Um, and Nicole just did a deal for, you know, about, I know a billion dollars and, you know, it's, it's just, why would she want to talk to anybody? Why, yeah. why, why would she wait? You know, Lee Steinberg used to talk to everybody yes. and he had all the yes. biggest contracts and the, you know, he had Absolutely. all the best quarterbacks, but you know, each one of those contracts was a good payday, but one of these contracts is just everybody's life has changed, you know, and it's not everything really the well, not only does the agent's life change, but obviously the player's life. Right. You know, players used to be, and I don't think this is news to anybody, you know, 30, 40 years ago, players lived upper middle class lives, but they weren't right. super rich. Uh, now players are super rich. They are just not people you're going to find walking around your neighborhood very often. Right. You know, it's it's just... When I, when I was covering the Flyers, Phil, when I first started covering the Flyers, they were in the spectrum, and occasionally I would go talk to fans. The, the Flyers were in a bad spot back then, much like they're in now. It was the early 90s. And so many of the fans 
were people who lived in working class South Jersey communities who remembered helping Bob Clark work on his car in the <laughs> you know, yeah. he'd be in his driveway, you know, underneath the hood and they'd go over. And, and I, I don't think anybody has that experience anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I reminded me of, and remember 93, Mitch Williams throws, you know, throws right. the infamous home run uh, ball mm-hmm. to Joe Carter. And after the game, um, I think it was Dave Hollins, actually. was guy almost never talked to anybody. But after the game, he said, well, Mitch has been under a lot of pressure. He's at home and people are bothering his family at the house and all this stuff because, you know, that was and that was wrong of people to do, I guess. But right. you know, guy, all these guys now they live, you know, they they own, you know, they own cities. To, they have places yeah. to go that you can't even get to. Gated communities. That, right. You know, I was going to say, good good luck getting over the fence to bother somebody. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Good for them if they can make the money, but it changes things. It and sure does. I don't think we even know yet how much you know, all the ramifications of these kinds of of these changes. I mean, Mike Schmidt used to make $2 million a year. <laughs> like he would be like the last guy in your bullpen at $2 million a year now. Yes. You know, it's like yeah. he's the best player in Philly's history. Well, Trey Turner one, makes $30 million. <laughs> right. I think one change that you're starting to see and you're going to see more of is players make so much money that segueing into like a coaching career is much less yeah. – uh, attractive than it was 30 or 40 years ago when you had to do something like that because you were 32 years old and you didn't have right, enough right. money to get through the next 50 years, you know, uh, right. without doing something. Yeah. But coaching is hard work and it's, uh, right. even if it pays reasonably well, it's incredible grinding work. And, you know, people talk about, well, you know, uh, maybe when Jason Kelsey retires, he'll become like Stoutland. Why on earth would Jason Kelsey do that? He'll go into media, national media, and make yeah. a lot of money is what he'll do. And he'll be yeah, kind of a cushy life. I mean, he'll work, but it won't yeah, be, yeah. he won't be watching film at four in the morning, uh, wondering how he's going to, you know, block the, uh, the, the Tampa Bay pass rush. You know, that's, uh, I can tell you right now, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's such a different world. It's it, and it started a while back. I remember Ike Reese, who's of course now a local radio personality. He was thinking about coaching, and Ike didn't have a. I don't think he made you know twenty or thirty million or anything like that as a player, but he made money. Um, yeah, he did fine. He talked he to Jim Johnson yeah. about coaching, and he was interested in that. And Jim Johnson said, and and, and Ike would have had to go in at the very low level you know, of coaching, like, uh, you know, assistant, a uh, position coach, uh, film cutter upper, you know, things like that. And, and Jim said, no, you don't have to do that. You've, you, you can go into media, you can find a lot of ways to yeah. capitalize on your career. That'll be much more interesting and fulfilling and will kill you, you know, a lot less yeah. than, than coaching will. And that I took that advice, you know, and, I just think that's going to be more and more the case that you won't see prominent players stepping into unless they can become like a head coach or at least a coordinator. You know, I don't think you'll see guys grinding up through the coaching ranks 
with $50 million in the bank. Yeah, well, it's the other thing, the people that I think of when you're talking about that, one thing is like D'Amico Ryans just got a head coaching job, right? Yes. So D'Amico Ryans is probably making really good money. I mean, he made good money in the NFL as a player. Right. Hell, he's a head coach. Or like going the other way with media, uh, Troy Aikman makes many times more now every year to be on TV than he ever made as one of the highest paid players in the NFL during his entire career. I mean, that's, exactly that's right. how much the money has just exploded. And if you're going to get ten million dollars a year to, you know, to go to a game a week and talk about it, uh, you know that that you can if you can do that, you can do that forever. I mean, the more the longer you do that in television work, the more they want you. It's like, yes, they don't want changes. They want the same person over and over again forever. People have built an audience, and you know that you know that the fans know who they are and and what they what their persona is, I guess. Uh, well, it's weird because like Troy, Troy Aikman is very good at it. And Tony mm -hmm. Romo is actually really good at, at it too. And for years doing weekly conference calls with Eagles opponents, we would always get when the Eagles were going to play the Cowboys, we'd always get Troy Aikman or any quarterback, but Troy Aikman and Tony Romo. Mm -hmm. And they were like the best guys on these conference calls because they were smart. They had, thoughts about what they were saying and they they expressed those thoughts well they had insight and uh, they shared it and they were likable and it was like you know all of a sudden tony romo is like the popular new hot uh, tv analyst and i'm like well yeah because <laughs> yeah. he was the guy on the phone who actually tried to answer questions and engage and yeah. by the way that weekly we're talking about changes that weekly conference call with the quarterback that's gone. That is it. <laughs> yeah, several years ago, the NFL just decided. I guess there are some media markets where there are only two or three reporters now who right. really cover the team. And, you know, in Philly, there'd be 20 guys around the yeah. speaker. Uh, phone, you know, whole room would be packed. Yeah. Yeah. But not the case in some cities. And they just decided they didn't have to do it anymore. You know, that's. Well, she can go on the team website and watch their press conferences live. Yes. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I guess we should talk about the current team a little bit here. I think yeah. people are, are interested in that uh, fun bunch of, uh, of uh, people who very came very close to winning the Super Bowl just several months ago. We're, we are going to have a video ad coming up soonish, but it's not here yet, so we're going to talk a little while longer. Uh, they they finished OTAs today, Phil, and uh, I've seen a real sort of circuitous course here for spring work there was a time when maybe it was a little bit before i was actually covering the team i've been told by people like reuben frank that there was a time when not much attention was paid to spring work and there wasn't oh, yeah. much written or said about it then by the time i got into it it was a pretty big deal and there was a yeah, lot yeah. of it and you came out every day for weeks and weeks yep <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be thinking at the end of every day, okay, I'm going to write about X. I wrote about X going into the draft. Now I'm writing about it again. And then when training camp kicks off, I'll be writing about X one more time. <laughs> you yeah. know, it kind of got, uh, it was, uh, it was a bit of a pain in the butt to tell you the truth. Nick Sirianni has fixed all that. <laughs> he doesn't uh, use, all of his allotted practice time in the spring. And if 
10 years ago, if you'd showed me an NFL coach who didn't use all of his allotted practice time, I would have keeled over. You know, that's just, that's heresy, but he doesn't, he doesn't do a mandatory mini camp because his veterans don't like that idea. And, uh, they don't allow report that reporters are out there for like two days total for yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, I don't mind. I wouldn't have minded that part of it because yeah. <laughs> I did those. Those were long, long days and long weeks when you had to get up every day, go down there and very little access, watch a lot of really soft kind of drills and stuff. Right. You know, we don't really learn much. But the thing and that's shocking about, about stuff that isn't immediate, you're writing about. Right you know, some fifth round draft pick that might have a chance to do X, Y, or some guy that in the off season, you know, gained or lost 10 pounds and now he's a different person and blah, blah, blah. You know, I never, I never enjoyed that kind of coverage. And it, it exists in every sport, you know, it's spring training stories in baseball yeah. are the same way. It's just, you're just trying to get through the, the exercise. There. Yeah, yeah, basically how it goes. But I was a little surprised by the, the lack of um, off-season work. Not because, I mean, I can't second-guess Nick Sirianni because he's done a really good job. He seems like he knows what he's doing. But, he, I mean, they have two new coordinators. coordinators yes. I would think that with two new coordinators. I mean, they went to the Super Bowl, and the program's going very well. But those are big jobs. And if you're changing anything, and you're going to change things, Especially on defense, we have a whole new, probably a whole new system. Yeah, you might, you might want to have take advantage of that. Now, you know, know, maybe they just overdid it in the past, and that was just the culture. That's well, I think they did, and I have a point on that. But we've got to get to our last video ad right now, and we'll prevail upon Phil's uh, patience and come back to him afterwards, if that's okay. Hey, Birds fans, the NFL schedule has arrived and Philly Sports Trips has all the details now. Visit the site phillysportstrips.com. This is sure to be an epic season. Be sure to go there now to make sure that you don't get shut out. Join us in Tampa, L.A., Seattle, or when we get revenge in Kansas City. Don't want to fly? No problem. Gather up your crew and hop aboard one of our signature boisterous bus trips to D.C. or New York. Sign up now and make sure to mention A2D. Don't miss out on the best Philly fan experience anywhere. Philly sports trip customers always stay at the best hotels and meet NFL legends. Book today. And we're back with Bowen on the Birds. Our final segment coming up here with Phil Sheridan, esteemed uh, Philadelphia Inquirer and ESPN writer uh, who now does uh, financial stuff and, and freelance sports. Um, a man who just had a birthday, by the way, uh, a, a milestone birthday, his 60th, uh, which makes him still seven years younger than me. But I'm sure, uh, you know, he's feeling his 60 years as he sits through this show. <laughs> no, but the, 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 the funny part of, of that for me is that we just talked about what kind of some of the stuff that happened to me over the last 10. All that happened in my 50s. Yeah. So I got to be I'm turning 60 and people. Are, oh, any problem turning 60? And I'm like. I, I'm getting, I'm so I survived my fifties I got through that. Whatever happens, I, it's gravy. It's house. I'm playing with house money and uh, I'm fine. So That's I'm not afraid of getting old. Yeah. I'm just afraid of not getting old. Yeah. yeah. Very well said. Uh, on the OTAs, I did have a point there. Uh, one point I, I do think they overdated in the past. I remember Carell Buckhalter tearing an ACL. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in OTAs. Um, but I also think 
that the way they teach now has changed so much. And you're right about the new coordinators, especially on defense. But, you know, the playbook is now a tablet. And you can show a guy 30 videos of, of a technique mm, or a coverage true. that yeah. you want him to assume. And if he's any kind of – and I think they prioritize finding people who are good, quick learners, quick studies. Maybe you can get that across without having him – perhaps, you know, rip up an Achilles tendon trying to do it. Uh, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. I hadn't thought I of think it that that's way. that's part of it. I really do. But, you know, everybody says this is the way to go because Nick did it last year and they got to the Super Bowl and they didn't have a lot of injuries. What tends to happen if you don't have a lot of injuries one year is the next year is a disaster. And, uh, you know, and you, you'll certainly if that happens, you'll hear people point to the lack of practice time in the spring right, as, right. as the reason that this happened. But I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll have to see. But several issues with the team right now that are interesting. Uh, they had some press conferences this week and they had a couple of the running backs talk. They had Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott. There was a lot of talk about sharing the load and how are you guys getting along? And of course, Gainwell and Scott talked to, you know, it's wonderful to have these guys in the room. It's, it's a great room and we can all, you know, help the team get back to the Super Bowl. but they have four guys that are pretty well established. Plus poor Trey Sermon, whom everybody forgets about who was, you know, when the season ended last year and they knew they were parting with Miles Sanders, it seemed like, Trey Sermon might finally, you know, move into the right. top group anyhow. I don't see how in the world that happens now. They've got, let me see, I, I have this in my notes, and of course I'm on the wrong page. So let's make sure, let's see if I can get this right. <laughs> they have DeAndre Swift. They have Rashad uh, Perry. They have uh, Penny. I'm sorry, Rashad Penny. Kenny Gainwell, Boston Scott, and Trey Sermon. They have five running backs, all of whom, you know, have – good credentials um it, it's almost like they're sort of counting on a couple guys getting hurt and there's people there's actually fans asking about so the the, the vikings cut dalvin cook and people are oh the, the eagles going to sign dalvin cook well where the hell would they put him no they're not going to sign dalvin cook but uh, what do you think of that running back room and how do you think that might shake out phil it's a good question, and I don't know if I have an answer because we don't usually – didn't used to ever see this kind of thing, you know. Right. Um, so, I mean, going back to the beginning of the Andy Reid era, I mean, that was really obvious. Um, Andy and then through uh, – Joe Banner was the one executing a lot of the stuff in terms mm -hmm. of money and allocating money and everything. But the, the philosophy was, you know, you don't overpay for running backs because they're not – they are going to get hurt. You say somebody's going to go, well, yeah, they're running backs. Probably two of them are going to be serious, deal with serious injury issues over the course of the season. So, you know, the other the other thing that strikes me is that there was an – I think it was hockey had the thing about if you have two goalies, you don't have a right. goalie. And I think if you have five running backs, you don't have a running back. Although having it now doesn't really apply as much. If that's the case in September, we're like, well, we don't – who's the running back? Then it doesn't matter that they have five. They just yeah. they need one, right. and uh, and you need one who stays healthy. And you know Sanders gave them that, um, and 
but that's just not that's not valued in the way they look at the, at the league now. I mean, Jim Brown just passed away, and it's like I can imagine in this era, Jim Brown being like, "Wow, well, you know, we're not, yeah, he's good and all, but you know, he's going to break down. He's like, you know, he's going to break down." Or, or you just don't use the running back. You know, it's it, the the rules yeah. have changed so much to make passing ascendant that you just if you were Jim Brown today, you wouldn't be Jim Brown. You wouldn't have right. that kind of impact on the game, I don't think. But I was interested in – they did have Kenny Gainwell talk, and I was kind of interested in that because he's been around a few years now. I never really – until this year's playoffs, this past season's playoffs, I never saw as much as some people did in him. He didn't get regular work. He, he was a small guy. Right. I wasn't that – but then in the playoffs – Suddenly, he was their main guy. You know, Sanders was dinged up, and uh, he really came on. And it was apparent from what he said in his press conference that he's, he said, quote, I'm expecting a high role this year. Well, they did go out and get uh, Rashad Penny and, and DeAndre Swift. So, you know, I wonder how that's all going to work out if Kenny is going to have a bigger role than he had last season or if he's going to be pretty frustrated by all this. But, uh, you know, he, he did turn out to be a, a pretty dynamic player. Uh, he did say that he's he's been through this sort of thing before. When he was in college, they had Tony Pollard at Memphis, and he, you know, he worked right. with other other runners. But uh, that's something I'm going to keep an eye on is Kenny's uh, – what Kenny thinks about all this and, and how much he's getting the ball. Because I – Part of me would like to see him get the ball after the way he did in the playoffs. I, I'm pretty intrigued, and uh, I'd like to see more from him. Um, another thing uh, that came up, they had the linebackers coach talk this week. There's a guy named DJ Elliott. I've never met him, but he was at Temple, and now he's with the Eagles. And uh, he talked about physicality a lot and tackling. And uh, I think those are good things for a linebacker's coach to talk about. Uh, he said, to be a great linebacker, you have to be a great tackler. Uh, he was asked about N'Kobe Dean, who is a player of great intrigue to me. Everyone assumes that N'Kobe Dean is just going to step in here and be a, a real top-of-the-league type starter, and he barely got on the field last year except for yeah. special teams. I think there's a lot to still, yeah, I know what he did at Georgia, but this isn't Georgia. And, you know, even though it looks like it sometimes in the locker room uh, (laughs) or the SEC, which it definitely looks like in the locker room, but uh, he's, uh, he's got to really work out. And uh, Elliot said that the Kobe has been very serious about it. And that in their introductory talk, he immediately asked to see the new playbook and wanted to get, you know, going on that. So those are good good things the other thing is a guy that i was totally interested in and intrigued by last year and it would have been disappointing except they went to the super bowl too so when a guy doesn't play that much yeah um and guys who aren't that high up in terms of value and where they were drafted or whatever are playing you think oh maybe this guy's not so good but they went to the super bowl so if he gets if he gets back gets into the rotation this year and is uh, uh, you know, last year doesn't matter in terms of right. Well, it's kind of weird because <laughs> they knew all along that they probably weren't going to re-sign T.J. Edwards and Kazir White. Right. But they were playing well enough, and the team was so good that they couldn't really justify 
you know, knocking some of their reps down and, and getting the Kobe in there, but it certainly would have been better for the 20, 2023 team. Right. Had they done that since they knew these guys weren't coming back, you know, it's just one of those catch 22s you get into when you're a good team, I guess. But this linebacker coach, one more quick thing. He uh, coached Davion Taylor at Colorado and I've almost forgotten about Davion Taylor. He was a, uh, a uh, draft pick a few years ago, a guy who hadn't played much, uh, was a great athlete, and they really, you know, they had sort of uh, that you cross your fingers and hope you've hit gold kind of thing. And it looked like they hadn't hit any gold. He hasn't done much uh, except here and there on special teams. But you got his old college coach, so who knows? Maybe there's something there still to be uh, to be found. The biggest uh, – Positional battle, I guess, on these Eagles is going to be right guard, Phil, where they have uh, Cam Jurgens, the center that they drafted last year to replace Jason Kelsey, who uh, obstinately refuses to be replaced. <laughs> um, he's battling with uh, Tyler Steen, whom they drafted this year from Alabama, uh, who's more of a natural guard, I think, than Cam Jurgens is. A, he's a bigger guy than Cam Jurgens, And I was thinking the Cam Jurgens discussion was a little tepid from Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni earlier in the offseason. I was thinking maybe they really want Tyler Steen to come in here and win this job, that they only see Jurgens as a center. But I have to say, during the OTAs, the message has been that Cam Jurgens is killing it. And I know Lane Johnson uh, certainly endorsed him the other day, talked about how strong he is, and, uh, you know, kind of put a little bit of that to rest for me. Uh, do you have any thoughts about right guard? Uh, they're replacing a guy, Isaac Suomalo, who was kind of slow to develop, but ended up being a really good player last year. Well, I think I think your team's in great shape if your biggest uh, preseason battle is at right guard. I mean, you know, we covered the the league for many years where you, know, you might not even know who the right guard was on a, on, on the team because um, it's just that was yeah that was those guys over there. You know, um, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not 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 by much. But uh, yeah, I Sam Sam as you said. I mean, I early on I thought you know. Great hair, but I'm not sure that there's a player there. And then he goes and gets tons of money. And I, I know I think Jeff Stoutland should be an agent for these guys or get some kind of fee because that's obviously that that's obviously the the heart and soul of this whole thing, operation is is Stout. And he's you know super great guy and also really smart. And you know um, he gets it done. He gets it done. I mean, you know I think I think Lane Johnson's probably a Hall of Fame type guy at this point. Yeah. And if he's comfortable playing next to either one of these guys and uh, Cam Jurgens, mm -hmm. he's had a little more opportunity uh, to be around. Um, if he says it's okay, it, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Cause first off, the, whoever it is, is going to be playing next to Lane Johnson. So, and between yeah. Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. So you could probably put you or me in there and get by. Yes. So yeah, yeah. I, I, for that to be a, a question mark, I think it's, I think it's one that will, easily be resolved because I think probably either one of those guys will be fine because they're not, they're not going to be, you know, now if you're, when you're working in a, a new tackle, you know, somebody who's out at the edge and, and maybe a little more uh, mm -hmm. open to being exposed, that's a little bit trickier and yeah. a little more risky. So yes. I think with, with, with guard, it's, 
if you, if it doesn't turn out great, you can get by. And Absolutely. if it does turn out really good, and with these kinds of this level of talent, draft picks and this and with Stoutland coaching them, I think you got a chance of turning out really, really well. And you know, then you're home free. So I, I don't know which one because I haven't seen any of this stuff in person, but uh, I would imagine they're going to be okay. That's a that's one more thing I wanted to bring up before we end the show, Phil. Is that you know I retired from beat writing two years ago, and you've been away from the Novacare a little bit longer than that. It still seems odd to me to be on the fringes and not in the middle of stuff, you know. And it's not the kind of job where you can just wander down there and say hello to people and you know <laughs> shake Brandon Graham's hand and. Yeah, they don't let you do that unless you're part of a credentialed uh, entity. Um, you know, you're not welcome. And it's just a very, yeah, I have a little bit of a, a hangover, uh, you know, withdrawal symptom kind of thing. Uh, I'll admit it. Uh, not as bad as, uh, as it was. It gets a little easier as time goes by. But I still, you know, I look at stories and think, oh, I would have liked to have done that story. Do you get that too? Yeah, I, I think less and less as time has gone by. Well, actually, like right at the beginning, I, I mean, uh, you know, like the first year I wasn't around them at all, they went to the Super Bowl and won it. <laughs> like I had been covering the team basically for 30 plus years. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much every year, pretty much every game for 30 years. And uh, went to a Super Bowl uh, after 2004 season. Um, but, yep. you know, the idea of winning one, it just yeah. seemed like a thing that, wasn't ever going to happen. So, uh, so yeah, that, that was weird. But the, for me, the upside of that was, you know, I would have been there. I would have been working. I would have been working yeah. my butt off like we do and covering, nice. covering something like that. Instead, I was with my family. Um, we, you know, we went to a big Super Bowl party and, you know, I was with my, with my daughters and my wife and stepsons and we just had a wonderful time. And I just, my dad had, had passed a few months earlier. So I was just, watching it like for him. I was like talking to my dad as it was happening. I was like, yeah, dad, you're not going to believe what Nick Foles just did. You know? So yeah. I just kind of, I tried to just take it in stride. I mean, one thing I like, if I never see an airplane, the inside of an airplane again, I'm really okay with it. You know? right. okay. I, I like this place. Is like, like when they're, when, the, when the team's somewhere that I liked going to, mm -hmm. then yeah, there's a pang, but it's mostly for the city that I'm not going to. It's not right. for the games. I can watch right. the game on TV and it's, about the same. So I miss P seeing people in press boxes that I'm used to seeing. You know, the last time, yeah. Uh, yeah. last time I was at a, an Eagles 49ers game, in fact, Ann Killian asked me about you. I would just, that just crop flashed into my mind there. You know, people like that, you know, that yeah. you just don't have any, how are you ever going to see these people? I mean, they're not like real close friends where you're going to go travel and visit them, you know, but yeah. people that you're used to seeing for years and years and years, you know, and you just don't have that connection anymore it's odd it really is it really is yeah. odd and one of the odd things over the last few years we've had a lot of people that i knew and you knew um and for for a long long time just you know die pretty That's young right. often yes. and uh often find out about it like on twitter yeah you know, i look i look open, open my twitter feed and i see that don banks has passed yes. away yes. or you know some of the some of the people that have jerry fraley in texas who yes. I was really good friends yes. with was covered Cowboys and was a baseball guy too. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, sooner or later, you know, there's just not going to be <laughs> none of those people are, you know, it's going to be all, you know, 25 yeah. year old kids with uh, uh, 
you know, yeah. high hopes and ambitions. And right. It, a lot of the people that we were used to seeing just aren't there to be seen anymore. They yeah. retired or they're, they're no longer with us. That's very, very true. Well, that's pretty much it for me today, Phil. Uh, I, I thank you so much for, you know, hanging in through all this, uh, through the smoke and haze. And, uh, <laughs> I'd say it's great to see you again, but you know, I didn't, uh, but I did hear you, and that was wonderful, and, and I'm really grateful that you agreed to do this, even though I initially told you the wrong day, uh, you know, you, you adjusted, and I'm so glad that, you know, you saved my butt there, because uh, me talking by myself for an hour, that wouldn't be any fun. For yeah, well, I thought about doing a podcast or that kind of thing, and I I try to imagine doing it, and when I have done, been appearing on other people's I do. I look at it. I think, I, I don't know if I could do what Les is doing right now. I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know. Yeah. You probably, you certainly could, but you got to have the guest. I mean, last well, week I had Rhea Hughes for half an hour because she could only do half an hour. And the second half an hour was not pretty. <laughs> you run out of stuff when you're just talking to yourself, you run out of stuff very, very, very quickly. Yeah. See, you're sad if the camera breaks because Rhea's on. When Rhea's on, when the camera breaks and I'm on, it's yeah. <laughs> it's a win-win situation for you. Indeed. Nah, not it. at all. But that is it for the uh, fourth edition of Bowen on the Birds. Uh, until next week, everybody out there, take Nick Sirianni's advice. Stay in really good shape and <laughs> don't go to jail or do anything that puts you in the news in a bad way before next Thursday. Thanks again to Phil Sheridan, and we'll see you next week.